0: Hello people, welcome to another episode of Wazi. Today I'm with Chao Maina, and um, who does some incredible work that we're going to talk about today. So let's introduce ourselves, so I don't should change. Should change her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for that wonderful introduction. My name is Chao Tayana Minor. I am a historian, a techie, a storyteller, a time traveler, and a lover of all things African. Um... My background is in computer science, but I, I, as, as I said, I work in history and sort of all my interactions within my work fuse the two, fusing technology and fusing culture, particularly African cultures and heritage, and just exploring what lies within that space in different ways, whether it's preserving African heritage, documenting, sharing, engaging, everything in between. So those are my main interests. Wow, yeah. I didn't know you did computer science. <laughs> Indeed, it's weird. I, I It's it's weird because I always... um, It was a bit of a tangent. I always wanted to become a historian. Okay. And then in the way that 844 works, you know, um, I ended up doing computer science. But when I think about it, the reason why I mention it um, in my introduction in my work is because I think a lot of that analytical thinking that you get from you know, like a scientific discipline and applying it in the arts really changes sometimes how you interact. Mm. So, for example, looking at analytical skills and problem-solving skills that I would gain, let's say, from like my CS course and applying them within history has been such an interesting way to work within this space. So I think it's influenced a lot of how... I approach my projects, yeah, and how I approach working within the historical and cultural space. So I'm really grateful for it. If wow. I had it, if I had the chance I'd do it all over again,
0: wow. Okay, yeah. that's really cool. I would. I would. I'm really glad you said that because it's something I've spoken about here with other people. Yeah, that skills are transferable. Just because you studied something, yeah, doesn't mean that's the end for you, man. It's not like you're a doctor, you're a doctor forever. Exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. You can just be other. You can be anything beyond yeah and whatever you want to try yeah but you can use your skills for something to advance absolutely Even if you did a course I mm. you didn't want to study <laughs> <laughs> but also fine. i think
1: the generally just the kenyan education system it tries to pigeonhole you into like specific blocks mm. you know so from when you're in primary school mm. then you go to secondary school and you're told what do you want to do you need to become a doctor this or this but then mm we're rarely taught to look at like multidisciplinary approaches to our work. You know, you can be a a finance manager and still be a farmer. Mm. Or you can be a doctor and still be an artist. You know, like we're not encouraged to explore the full range of our abilities. It's like, if you choose this path, you stick with it for the rest of your life. And I think it's a disservice to us as human beings because we are so multifaceted and so yeah. um ah, yeah, like, just <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: exactly, ah, yeah. <laughs> like we
1: we are able to do and apply ourselves to so many things Yeah, and i think this um, system of education really robs us of that ability to see ourselves as existing in multiple worlds mm. yeah
0: i'm so glad you even brought up 844 <laughs> because um I mean, for my previous conversation we had now with Wairimo, we're speaking specifically about even mm. documenting and how we studied music history. Mm-hmm. Like, I can tell you for a fact, the pages are like five. Mm. As in, it's so... <laughs> the the textbook is so fat, but the African part of it is so slim. Mm. And it's so strange that we know of all these, like, Mozarts and all these other peoples, mm. And then we have Kenyan composers that we don't know about mm-hmm. we have we, we, I can tell you a lot about Miriam Makeba, but we don't even know about you know Kenyan Ke- Kenyan music legends mm-hmm. for example Um, and it's the same with our history I mean what's that quote history is written by the victors mm-hmm. or something I don't know don't quote me Um, <laughs> but lions. you get what I'm trying to say There's something about lions and winners <laughs> and, and <Yeah>, losers <laughs> You're on the right track. On the <laughs> yeah, right track. and I felt like, I mean, I was a history student in high school. I didn't yeah. really enjoyed history. But, you know, beyond my history, like the syllabus, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things, obviously, that I think about. I'm like, Ay, who I we were sure changed. Mm. Also, the way it's been, the way the syllabus has been yeah. designed is not for you to necessarily um, get what happened. It's like, yes. okay, this is what you need it's to It's just a
1: narration. It is, and it's... it's, like it's yeah.
0: Like, that... I don't know. It's just annoying. It's annoying when you find things out after and you're mm. like, so what did we study mm. in high school? Um, and by that, I just mean, like, some things are not factual to begin mm. with. Also, they've been sugar-coated, mm. I guess, just to make some people look a bit better, mm. um, which I guess is not uncommon. But anyway, um, the reason I started this thing about history is because mm. of what the work that you're doing. So... With digitization, mm-hmm. and I guess that's where the computer science also, mm-hmm. you know, benefits <laughs> uh, comes through. <laughs> uh, I was watching a story of yours the other day, and there's this app you were showing, an AI app oh, yes, That's like up. makes photos like come to life. It's
1: crazy, honestly. And uh, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So um, for our dear listeners, um, the app is called I think it's called Deep Nostalgia, and it basically animates still photographs so you can take like photos from the past and then it picks like it sort of like uses ai to map out the face and then it creates like a video uh, a couple of seconds video maybe 15 seconds or so of this like still photograph so for example if it's a person they're smiling or they're laughing and their head is moving so i mean it's it's weird because it's um uh, I don't know, I kept I said I think I said in my stories like I honestly don't know if human beings should have this much power because it feels it feels like it comes alive, yes. But it's also very distant, like it's a bit haunting in terms of the expressions. And obviously also there are a lot of questions around privacy and digital rights and because that's the same technology that you can use to do like deep fakes. Which What's are like um, I don't know if you, if you've seen this like impressions of celebrities talking and saying. There's one of Tom Cruise where he's like saying some, I was going to say some shit, but he's saying some something that is. <laughs> <laughs> he's saying some. I I can't remember what he was saying, but it basically looks like they're doing stuff, but it's not them. It's just a computer Whoa. superimposing their face onto like a body, and it looks like it's a hundred percent them
0: that's That's dangerous, you know
1: because it's interesting because we use video as like a a verification mm. medium It's like what well, they cut on camera, is that them on the video you know, but then what what does it mean when the video itself can be completely fake and look real? you know yeah so in terms of history, I think there's good sides and there's bad sides um, mm. I think recently I've been exploring photography as violence, you know like how photography was one of the earliest forms of colonial violence and also the invention of photography largely coincided with the spread of colonialism so maybe 10 10 years or 15 years apart before the camera was invented then the next in the next maybe 10 15 years you know the berlin conference happens and you know continents like the continent is being subdivided but the first tool of capturing and looking at you know african communities was photography Mm -hmm. and europeans used this tool to narrate their version of the story but also because this was such a foreign invention it was it was how do i say it was like a parasite in the landscape you know you can imagine you're all sitting here you've never seen a camera you don't know what a camera is and someone is just like taking photographs and obviously at the time their cameras were like this huge contraptions we're not talking about like your phone and then you have no say in what they write Mm -hmm. and then this is what goes into your archives it goes into your history books it goes into your movies it's like this is so damaging and it is one of the initial forms of colonial violence because that was against you know the people who are being photographed but also they didn't have an understanding of what story was going to be written about them. So for yeah. me I often think like for us you know for a generation um that has to go back to these records and is relying solely on these records to have like a visual reference of our past it's very damaging and um uh, there's an Ethiopian author called Mazaminkisten. She talks about how, when you look at photographs, especially photographs from the colonial period, and you look closely at, especially portraits of Africans, you know, this like Kavirondos in 1895, or, you know, like they're not even identified by name. Mm. It's, you know, but Zulus or Maasai. It's like this really blanket terms to describe people. Yeah. Um, and you can see, like, she, she talks about what it, what's it called? stances of defiance or some signs of defiance of like people clenching fists or people not even smiling or just staring straight into the camera mm. or shifting gazes and just when you start to notice the discomfort in colonial archives you can't stop seeing it it's everywhere you know so one of the things when i thought about this like deep nostalgia thing which brings photos to life was that would the software pick those aspects of discomfort mm. and tension and that we know are clearly manifested in the in the history, but when we're animating things like this, what if the software just picks them and makes them happy? Yeah. <laughs> you know, these people who are who lost their land and their access to things in their own spaces, you know, you have this software that's just reconstructing happy people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which is which is not a reflection of the past. So I mean there there's a lot to to discover and talk about in in this aspect yeah
0: yeah that's really interesting which in fact and now everyone to bring up so you do several things you digitize yes. in different um should i call them families or cat- no <laughs> i'm trying to bring up the fact that you have three different <laughs> organizations that you work with yes. um so i'm familiar with um african dig- digital heritage yeah. And um, and East African Rails. Yeah. But you can tell us what else you do in terms of like the different bodies that you Inside, work around yeah. and what you guys do there. Because okay. there's some cool stuff I've seen.
1: Yay! Okay, so African Digital Heritage really is... Um, when I started working in this space, particularly when I moved back home, I did, when I did my master's, I decided to move back home. Um, I noticed that when we're talking about digital heritage and how technology is influencing culture and and, and and heritage as a whole, a lot of the discussion is being led by European scholars, European organizations or Western organizations because the field of digital heritage is still quite new, you know, combining the two. So I set up African Digital Heritage really as an organization to, to do these projects, but also I hope that it transitions into an, like a research organization where we can identify yes, technology is there. Yes, it's good or yes, it's bad. But what does it mean for us as Africans? Because we know technology is not neutral. Mm -hmm. We have seen it in several op-eds and several um, articles talking about how racist technology can be. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is also has has a potential to seep into like things like history and culture, especially when you apply technology to this field so African digital heritage really is the umbrella organization for all my projects, and I hope that it transitions into an organization that supports us as Africans to be able to unpack and have a critical and holistic understanding of digital media and, and its role in cultural heritage African cultural heritage and then the other project that I do is you mentioned it's called East Africa Rails initially when I started it it was called Save the Railway and I did this it was a passion project where I went around the country for four years taking photos of railway stations across Kenya.
0: really <laughs> good photos, I've seen them. Thank
1: you, well, thank no, you very weird. much um, <laughs> and at that time I was, a, I was a student, that's when I was deep, knee deep in my computer science and statistics world and I was like you know what I just need an outlet but also the project sort of like morph when I started it, it was just about stations. And then I was like, wait a minute. The stations are just buildings. You know, there's stories and lives and intangible memories and experiences attached to this building. So it's it slowly morphed into like this Um project that was looking at both the tangible and intangible so looking at how the railway affected people how it benefited people how um, it moved people and what it meant to people particularly Kenyans and I feel like it was we were sort of like at a crossroads because the SGR was coming Mm. It was just starting, and there's so much hula baloo about, you know, it's going to be big and grand, and Kenya is going to be, you know, advancing fast into the future. Like, there was a lot of PR. Mm. And at the same time, when you looked at the history of the old railway, like, the data points were just, they were man-eating lions. And then there was a trip from a U.S. president. And then it declined due to African mismanagement. You know, like, those were there. <laughs> in summary. Yeah, in summary. This is like a hundred years of which you could just talk about lions eating. Um And then... Oh, the, the, yeah, the man um, Like, that Asian laborers and uh, Indian laborers were imported into the country to work mm. on the railway and a couple of things and then declined due to corruption mm. <laughs> you know, so I thought there was like 60 70 years of this railway being run and meaning so much to Kenyans You yeah. know, meaning so much to Africans that were just being swept under the rug and forgotten so the project really was all encompassing to try and understand what it meant to people but also infuse that element that this was something that was important you know to us um, yeah. that people used to go to school, that people used to transport their farm produce, that people used to go on their honeymoon. Like, where were those stories? Yeah, And that's, that's what it attempted to do. It was really my first project, like, working on the ground and kind of like, moving away from history as just a passive thing where I just read it, consume it and leave to history as being a very active thing where I have a part to play what can I do? And I think this is where the analytical thinking comes, you know, like in computer science you're developing software, (laughs) like, what is the problem? Okay, this is the problem. What building blocks do I need? I need an Mm -hmm. app. Okay, what building blocks does this app need? It needs a front end, it needs a back end, it needs this module, it needs that module. And I sort of approach history in that way, like, oh, the railway is being (laughs) the railway is being um, some of the stations are being demolished, actually, just to mention. So some of the stations are being demolished, it's SGR, the history of the railway is not complete, Mm. and it's missing a couple of things. Okay, what do I need? I need to go to stations. I need to speak to people. I like that's how (laughs) that's how I approach it, and it's so funny because it really informs how I approach history in a way. So that was the railway project, and I did that for four years, and then. Probably, the next project that I did that was quite big and that a lot of people may have heard about is the Museum of british colonialism mm-hmm. and this is a volunteer initiative, a big name for a small group of volunteers working across um, Kenya and the u k to like document and understand you know the history of colonialism because it's taught mm-hmm. in a very abstract. They came, we lost our land, we fought, we won. Happy day after, Yeah. you know, five steps, you know. Yeah. But what we realized, uh, my colleagues and I, it's founded by women.
0: um, Dope, dope. I know. (laughs) It's
1: like, take on the empire. But (laughs) (laughs) no, my colleagues and I were, it actually stemmed from a conversation that we were, different conversations that we were having and realizing that um, regardless of whether of the fact you came from Kenya or from the U.K., you understood very little of the colonial experience. Mm-hmm. And we were we relatively the same generation. And for us who have to do that job of learning and learning and going back, yeah. and also realizing that our history books and what has been formalized really, really leaves out so much about the experience of colonialism, about the people. Like what you hear from your grandparents is very different from what you find in your books. Yeah. So there's this huge um, this is there a dis- discordance? is that even a word? I don't know.
0: Dissonance. <laughs> Dissonance. That's a word. That's a, it's word. a musical term, but it yeah, works.
1: But <laughs> 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 I'm trying to say this. I'm like, Disc- discord, whatever. That word, it will come later. I'll, I'll, I'll Google it. But um what you find within the communities and within the landscape is very different from what's, quote unquote, immortalized in books officially mm. so mbc um as we call it is really a space we are digital organization we are digital museum no objects no office <laughs> as- like and we and we really deliberately call ourselves a museum because i think we also need to start um, challenging and understanding yeah. what a museum today should be and what a relevant museum should be. You know, you can make a museum, but maybe with no relevance or little relevance. So, mm. especially because we know that museums are largely, the system of museuming, <laughs> museumness has been imported. You know, it's not a concept that we had yeah. as societies, as communities of putting our history and our culture and our objects in glass boxes and coming to see them like yeah those you know history was alive it was passed down through generations you have the griots in and the jalis in mali and, and in west africa as history being this alive thing that we all take a part in yeah. preserving we all take a part in consuming and engaging with so when you have a museum that says this is the official institution by the government and these are the official objects of this community. Like, what does it do to us as a people when you sever and fracture those systems? Yeah. Um, so, MBC really is an experiment. It's a platform. Um, we are going uh, uh, we're going round Kenya <laughs> I'm saying round, but we've only visited two sites but we're looking at sites of detention which were detention camps that were set up by the colonial government between 1952 and 1960 during the state of emergency and they were to hold or rehabilitate that is the official word that they were using people who were suspected of being in the Mau Mau they were actually detention concentration camps Yeah. there were villages for women and children and camps for men and they all over the country from Manyani to Lamu to Lodwa to Kisumu everywhere but what happens after independence is they just disappear the sites they're either turned into schools or prisons or just private property and it's weird that you would have such stark evidence in the landscape that just vanishes Yeah. you know it's not even like we're not talking about something that happened 200-300 years ago we're talking about less than 100 years 50-60 years And we can't even say where these camps were. That's extremely dangerous. So MBC is trying to map these sites. Um, We're also trying to make like um, digital reconstructions, like 3D reconstructions. Ooh, No. Okay, okay. (laughs) Yeah, because a lot of these structures have changed. And some of them are inaccessible to the public. Some of them were brought down. Some of them are now prisons and, and stuff. So we are trying to use digital media as a way to really visually impact that this is how they looked and this is what they were. Yeah. And they were there. Um, again, it's an experiment. But that's that's been a really interesting way to explore history. Um, so those are the three... Main projects. I have a new one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, really? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a serial historian, hi- serial historical entrepreneur. I can't even call myself an entrepreneur because it's not even like businesses. But, um, My latest project is sort of like a data project looking Mm -hmm. at um, data around restitution of African artifacts and how we can be able to understand, you know, this whole debate on repatriation and objects need to come back. We know that there are so many objects that are in, like, Western and you know in european and in american museums and we need to understand and how many objects where are they where are they coming back to so it's sort of like a data experiment to say that we need a platform to be able to see because Mm. when you when there's a lot happening like african practitioners and museums have been asking for these objects for so long yeah but because the data is not really accessible people assume that nothing is happening And it's also very dangerous because this invisibility and this lack of data means that we're really not understanding that things are happening on the the ground. Mm -hmm. But also, we are really centering the European experience. Yes. You know, so it's like they have refused. They have when, in essence, we should be shifting the narrative to, you know, we have asked, we have done this. Like, Mm -hmm. we're still centering the European perspective of do you have the right museums? do you have the right facilities? Who is it going back to? And your problem is, that's not your problem. Yeah, Like you're not holding these objects for us. You're actually holding them against our will and these things need to come back. So trying to map out the different data points. Uh, it's called open restitution. It's still quite new. So maybe if you talk to me in three years, <laughs> I'll, have, I'll have more to say about it. But um, those, are, those are some of the projects that I do. A lot, wow. as I said, looking at data, history, culture, those things.
0: Yeah. Like how yeah, somebody was like just, and <laughs> then you listen to them and I'm like, mm, I don't think it's just. Uh, but the reason I was actually, in fact, when I was first introduced to you, which I was telling you about before, uh-huh. I was very interested in the, because it was clear, your work is very digital. yeah, Which was intriguing to me because I hadn't seen yeah. a digital like gathering, <laughs> <laughs> gathering. Gathering. of these different things because i mean we are moving in a digital space which i think now now people are actively Mm. trying to see oh how can we move like that and i like what you said about museums because it's true museums are not like our thing Mm. history was it's an active thing it's a day like it's a day-to-day activity Mm. that you know you go and visit your show show at some point maybe for some people you'd sit down they tell you stories mm. at least that was my experience mm. and it was the same thing um my grandmother was there now those days for my mom so she was like she she helped with the war basically mm. sometimes she tell us some stories i'm like hey but this is someone who was there yeah. and i'm like hey, how is this not a thing yeah. and especially um i think with our history like women were so sidelined mm particularly yeah. ma- women who helped to the mao-mao mm. fight um i mean i just knew one who was my shushu i'm sure the other people will be like yeah i remember my shushu told me this but now it's like how can we hear about yeah. all this to you know to stories that did not make it yeah like how you're saying about concentration camps yeah maybe we know of only three popular ones yeah. and that's it like there's more yeah. than that. And it's cool that you can get 3D models yeah. at some point. Yeah. And you can, because you can't access the spaces mm. um, and it fills those gaps for, oh, okay, so this is what it would have looked like mm. at that time. Um, when you're talking also, again, going back to museums, I remember reading about, um, what's that 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 museum in the UK? The biggest one.
1: British
0: yes, it would. It would be that one. <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember the I name. Suppose. <laughs> I suppose. Um, but I was reading about this. It was during at the time I think where France was now um actively trying to. No, actually, the conversation was around the Benin mm. um sculptures being asked for then this article was written i was reading about um this kenyan man who went to uk for conference and decided "Ah, let me tear this museum and see what's here then when he was there he saw this artifact um and it was a maasai it's not an artifact Mm. but that's what the museum calls it is my point because of what you're saying Mm. like we don't it's not a thing like we don't these things are not artifacts they're functional Mm. but because the people who stole them, which is what happened with this particular item, mm. he was saying, I'm forgetting the name, the name of it, like the traditional name of it, but it's a, it's, a, it's a piece that was passed down from the father to the firstborn son, mm. and it was passed down the lineage. So it would not have been gifted to someone. It must have been stolen mm. for it to end up in the in museum. The museum yeah. So he was walking past... He's seeing first of all the description again, artifact. Mm. The description is wrong. And he was like so he just asked, I think one of the curators, like who's was like, oh how do you guys get this? She's like, Oh, you know, it came back after mm. colonialism, it's from the Maasai community. Basically like three sentences mm. and that's it. So he takes a photo, he sends it to the elders in his community and they're like how did that thing get there? Mm-hmm. Now this is how the conversation started. They're like, it can't be there. It must have been stolen. Mm-hmm. So then, what happens is when he comes back, they they communicate to the museum and explain to them. So the museum, I guess, because there are processes of getting these things back, but mm-hmm. well, like we can't give it back mm-hmm. or something. So instead, they said, let's come. We'll perform a ritual so that um so the peace can be detached from that family mm. because it being there is a curse
2: mm. and the
0: reason I'm even sharing this I guess in this conversation is you see it's not an artifact mm. there's significance to that community and it was stolen and there's a bigger impact like it being held to that family mm. where that family is but when these things were stolen they're stolen because they look nice they're aesthetic mm. and that's all museums. okay not it all. was a power
1: thing it you was know a power there was nothing thing. about interest or love or the culture or even respect mm. you know i always say that you cannot have you cannot have an appreciation of african genius and have a disrespect for african people those things those those two things do not align you can't be like oh wow this is amazing look at how it has been crafted and at the same time be racist talk about how africans are inferior how we are uncivilized while taking all these things that you admire yeah and saying that you're protecting them those two things cannot exist and for me it's just a power dynamic mm-hmm. it's a symbol these things are symbols of power yeah and holding them is a symbol of power so there's nothing about Respect, and because if it was about respect, there would be respect for African people. Yes. And you cannot tell me that you really respect my culture, but you don't respect me as a person. Those two things, I just
0: it doesn't go together. Because <laughs> people make is not, culture, so
1: mathematics is not adding up. Make it make sense. Make it make sense. And you know, so in that particular
0: situation, the the elders actually went yeah he went back i think with two or three elders yeah and they performed the ritual um <laughs> and they performed the ritual um to yeah but you see the fact that it's not a big deal yeah it's like I they did the ritual you yeah. get to keep them um and i know there's a whole other thing about them making money from artifacts mm. from different places and this is, you know, someone someone asked one day, and it's like, hey, if we ask British people what is their culture outside of potatoes, and they're like, those aren't even theirs, they're (laughs) Irish. (laughs) Because they're like, even maize, maize is from Mexico, as in it was so hard to find something. It's very hard, because we don't know what it is. Mm. Okay, personally, I don't know. You can tell us if you do. But um. And to think that now we're living in a time where because of conditioning, we mm. think that is what, um, or they, it was made for us to think that mm. European way is better. Mm. So I was even talking to a friend. I'm like, why is it that here we're wearing suits? Mm. Like suits is such a European thing because they have winter. Mm. So it makes sense for them to wear suits. True. Someone uh, is working in a bank in coast. <laughs> and he's being told to wear a suit. It's, this person should be wearing a kanzu. It's so funny to work.
1: You know, like <laughs> some of some of the things are very impractical. I remember the first time I went to West Africa, I went to Mali. And when you get to the airport, like when I go to the airport, the all the like the attendants, some of the male attendants, they were just in like the Kitenge, what we call kitenge. Mm-hmm. But I don't even like calling it traditional. I don't, I don't understand this, you know, why you call it traditional attire. But just like African fabrics and wax prints for work, mm-hmm. you know. And for me as a Kenyan who has been told all my life that this is clothes for weekend and no ratios. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> so that, it was such a mind shift for me in looking at dress. And how what we call formal or official, Mm -hmm. and that it can be anything, it can be anything you choose. Like, there's no set system commandments that you should wear a suit from nine to five, and you should wear a scat suit and a you know a tie. Mm -hmm. That's what we have inherited. But it doesn't necessarily have to be set in stone. Yes. You know, you travel and you go to different countries, If you go to to different parts of the world, you see that people have different ways. There's nothing un-unformal or unofficial Mm -hmm. about wearing something else. Yeah.
0: You know? And it's and it, things are changing now, which is a good thing. I saw in Ghana they actually introduced. Um, oh yeah, the uniform. The uniform, yeah, the school uniform. Really I nice. was like, that is so cool. That and is it's something so cool. simple.
1: And then when someone does it, you're like, but of course. But when <laughs> when you that's and I think that's the the biggest the service of colonialism is in how it just limits your imagination. Mm, yeah. You know, you don't yeah. even know you're limited. You just. You're just limited. And until you see someone exist outside those boundaries, that's when you're like, Of course. Mm. Why is it school uniform in different fabrics? Why does not you know, like. But before that, it's like, Ah, school uniform in a clivy. This and is not proper school, school uniform. School uniform. <laughs> you already
0: have a picture. Yeah. taffees, white socks, yeah, you know.
1: Blue, black, white, you know, pink, and whatever. Tie. <laughs> Tie. <thai. laughs>
0: Half sweater, full stops, sweater. You know, okay. even the
1: things about wearing shorts, you know, that's largely a colonial thing where African, like, for example, in the King's African Rifles, even in the police force in the beginning, African soldiers and African policemen were not allowed to wear trousers. Trousers were only limited to European mm. staff. So Africans, you know, even the name servants' Quarter, like so, so much of what <laughs> we speak of <laughs> is just an inherited colonial mindset Mm -hmm. that was designed to keep you at a certain level. Mm -hmm. You know, you could never be educated beyond certain levels so that you cannot pass. You know, like, some of these things are so ingrained and I think the job of unlearning is twice as hard. Agreed. You know, it's it's almost that you require double the amount of effort you took to learn Mm. to unlearn. Because unlearning is really confronting your Biases, confronting your blind spots, confronting your weaknesses, confronting your, what you've lost and what you've gained. Yeah. But mostly what, has, what is in that void. You know, so... Mm. Ah, so much work. <laughs> it is so much work.
0: But it's good you even said that because I think with platforms like now, yeah. even the platforms that you have mentioned, the ones that you're working at, yeah. that's what you guys are doing. You're making it easier for some of us because now... We just need to go there and see what you're doing mm. and then maybe further it mm. because i think even the way we've archived things mm. like we talked about before mm. it's just very difficult to you have to read maybe like 20 things to find out mm. one thing mm. properly you're like oh mm. okay that's how it is but even the access to those archives sometimes you don't even know where to start i've been there i'm like i have no idea mm. or the resources required might be a bit a bit more than just you may take maybe a couple of days because now you're having to travel. Yeah. Even what you're saying like you guys you know you have to go around yeah. but going around Kenya is not easy. Yeah. Especially so easy. now with curfew even. Exactly. Like you know there are certain things you need to factor yeah. and then you might go and not you don't find someone. You don't find like someone. Like I remember we were looking for this photographer um who is the first Kenyan photographer mm-hmm. after independence. Mm. And we watched this interview and I was like, bam, looked at the the person who did the interview, messaged them, they sent me the number. Welcome mm-hmm. come to Asia. Soon you could like, wow. Now, how else would I find this person? Mm-hmm. You know, it's so, now that in itself already is a challenge that can be a bit demoralizing mm-hmm. for some of us. But it's good, like, for the work that you guys are doing, I think it's, it's good. Yeah. Also, it's accessible because... What I was going to say now, the other thing is, some people just give up because they don't like reading. Yeah. So it's like, hey, yeah, I have to read that book. I think
1: also, I th- just to take us back to the to the issue of 844 and how history was taught, I think history was not taught as an active subject. You have history as, yes, the history this mm-hmm. happened, but you also have historical inquiry, which is the process of asking questions challenge you know we were not taught those skills of finding data where do we need to go who do you need to speak to what do you need to be to keep in mind like the process of historical inquiry does not factor into the subject that is that is history and i think if we learned if we were taught even from a very young age and i think for For any African country, I feel like historical inquiry historical methods should be a part of primary school from when you begin mm. because the job of undoing this needs so much work. Mm-hmm. If we recognize if we can 't be saying African history has been has been marginalized, how long will we say it? Yes, it has you know, but now that we have the tools and we have the resources, how do we empower like younger generations to ask questions? How do we make it so that we are looking at this as something we all need to do. And I think that process of inquiry is so, so crucial because it really changes your mind. It changes your perspective on things. You learn to question. You learn to to ask yourself within even, <laughs> you know, why mm. why why is it that I feel that way? There's something I usually call the injustice of justness.
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> paradox.
1: Injustice of justness, which is we just grew up thinking... Europeans are just more successful. Germany is just more. You know, France is just this, and they are just this, and us, we're just poor, we just have, like, you know, we, we grew up with this resignation of, even David Riziko, mm-hmm. we can't change, you know, like, and it's such an injustice to us, because things are the way they are because things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the reason why France and all these other European countries that were former colonial powers have the resources that they have today is mm-hmm. because of colonialism, Correct. it's because they have benefited from resources and are still benefiting from, from resources of other countries and other communities. So when we resign ourselves to this justness of white people are just better, you know, we, we lose that process of, but why? Mm-hmm. Why yes it's more successful. Yes, they have better health care. Yes they have this or yes this is the case, but why is this the case? Mm-hmm. You know, we're not just like ah, African countries are just poor. <laughs> and it ends there. And it ends there. Why is that? There's no justness in that. Like, why is that the case? Yeah. You know? So that process of why and like just being stubborn, kwa Lisa maswali. like why is this the case
0: mm. <laughs> yeah cuz the why will take you to now how you know, to progress why is congo, you need to understand yeah, fast exactly you why is congo forward? the
1: way it is mm. you can't just be like ah congo is just violent congo is just at war. you know yeah. but we have to understand that there are factors in place that make congo the way it is and there are people benefiting from why congo is the way it is so like that justness or i think removing that justness and saying actually no 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 take a step back why why do you have this much money or resources because you have benefited from x y z
0: you know so the injustice of justness yes Hey, that's interesting. Hey, I'll quote you. <laughs> so while Tayana Chow, <laughs> uh, <laughs> before she wrote her book, <laughs> she had told us back then. <laughs> about it. Yeah, <laughs> those guys knew this concept. <laughs> we we're not finding out now. We're like uh, a few a few years later.
1: <laughs> no, I didn't I really did like fast. that explanation.
0: Yeah, I think it's very important also for for us to recognize that like, we need to ask questions. Yeah. It's true. And yeah. I think like. Personally, I think sometimes I was saying to someone, you know you're the most patriotic when you're outside of home. Yeah. Because somehow you <laughs> are either because either you're answering so many I questions <laughs> or like you're seeing... Now you're looking even at, at you and at your country from the outside. You're like, hey, okay. Because you okay. see when you're in it, sometimes there are things you yes. don't see. Yes. When you're outside, you're like, ah. So for yeah. me, like my experience living in Melbourne was... I got to interact with a lot of indigenous Australians, like Aboriginal people in Torres Strait, and these guys just practice every day. Like, any their way of life is just them practicing elements of culture, and that really challenged me. Cause now I started thinking, what is mine? Like, like what is it that we do? And then. I'm like, oh, I don't even know, X. I don't know why. And I remember, like, my dad is from Meru, mm. <laughs> and uh, we always make this joke of like, mm, what well, Meru I wanna because like, you see yeah. how there's vernacular radio stations, yeah. in like some of the Meru stations, they still play like other, especially yeah. kikuyu songs. <laughs> songs yeah. So like, I couldn't wear the Everybody's Meru song, artists. So, yeah. Meru yeah. Artists. Yeah. so sometimes mm. they had like a church thing, mm. and they did folk songs, and there was like twenty or fifty different groups. Mm. But all of them were singing in vernacular, and they were singing different songs. So I'm like, already here, there's at least 20 different songs. Mm. But somehow, I know none of them, Mm. except the ones you hear at the Rura Show, Mm. Um, occasionally, and the wedding. And even some of those songs are sung in the wrong context. Mm. You hear Sujit's award song, but it's being sung in a wedding. But it really challenged me to be like, oh, they're there they're just maybe not, maybe I've never seen the folk song book or something. Mm. What if it exists and I'm just the one who doesn't mm-hmm. know? Um, and you see, for like my gra- our grandparents, some of them, they used to have not cultural school, mm. it was just school. Because there was no now formal school. Yeah. They used to go, sit, they know at this time, we go and mm. sit with Nanny, they teach us whatever, whatever. Mm. And those were the times where they'd learn all this stuff. Mm. But now that doesn't exist anymore. And so you're either learning, like, I don't know, at music fests. Mm. <laughs> Actually, you know, music festival, I think, is the one thing our education system should keep yeah. for a while. Because I learned so, so much. much at music fests.
1: About other communities About also. About other communities. Like, you would be singing a Luya song mm. or... A Kamba song and you have no idea what what yeah. you're saying or the language but you sing it and you sing it with your heart
0: and then <laughs> you meet now guys from those places because exactly. i remember through music is how i learned that about colors communities have colours. Yeah. so like mijikenda would have uh, white blue yeah. and red yeah and those are worn for specific occasions yeah now all this stuff i learned because of music first and yeah. a music teacher because she's proactive. Um, so us guys got lucky. There's someone who doesn't even know that. Yeah. But it's like how, how, do, how do we keep that? Because we're not going back to do to wear mafumbos and dance mm. anymore. Mm. We're not wearing Meruze used to have this grass skirts, like mm-hmm. to make them from glass. Mm-hmm. I've not even seen one because mm-hmm. no one is like we are also moving, mm-hmm. but we're digitizing, which is mm-hmm. what you guys are doing mm-hmm. and creating like mad 3D models. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's how us guys will get to see yeah. some of this stuff. So I think I want to ask you also like what are some of not necessarily challenges, but even those you can share with us, but what are limitations you're facing in terms of even archiving, cause you are archiving just in a digital way. Mm. Um, like, have you? Cause I, I've gone to, we've gone, my friend and I've gone to spaces where we're asking for stuff, mm. and you're being taken to a room. You're like, bro, mm. how do we even? Akunatas, G, yeah. A to Z, yeah. nothing has been arranged. Yeah. You just have to scram. And if you find it good for you, if yeah, you don't, don't. Well, it's sad. Well, let's say that there are, the are challenges
1: are like- next. <laughs>
0: Wait, don't die. Jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry.
1: (laughs) Okay, let me start that again. Um, with regards to challenges, I think the challenges on different levels. There are challenges on a professional level, like industry level, and the are challenges on a personal level. Um, start with like industry-level challenges, what you've said, you know, like um, culture and arts generally, but even heritage is severely underfunded, yeah. like severely, like, you know, you find even the staff at the museums and the archives, they just make enough money to get by. Mm. You know, there's no money for extra costs like cataloging or digitizing. Like, the core functions are so severely limited by a lack of funds that, you know, sometimes these institutions can only afford salaries. Mm. So it's, it's, I think, on a national level, it's quite... um, and It's the case in many African countries where you have museums and archives, and just heritage as a sector being severely underfunded and what does this mean? It means you can't have access to data, you can't do public outreach, you can't do audience engagement. It means that people don't even know that these institutions exist they don't know what's in there they don't know they can't see themselves in in this in these spaces so I think there's, that's a ripple effect of funding in general, um, which is really really um, crucial uh to to advancing the sector, but also to making people feel that we have things that are ours. You know, like we're not constantly looking outwards. You know, we have so much within us and and in front of us that I think if we just had the right resources um, to to work in this space, it would it would really make a difference um, for parastatals, you know, you have institutions like KBC, Kenya News Agency with like wonderful archives, but the Mm. thing is when they have no money, there's degradation there's loss, there's theft so Mm. all these are just ripple effects there are many challenges which can be lumped into just a lack of Resource and a lack of resource management, um, but you still have people in these institutions who try. Like you go to the museums, you find people who will help you. People who are just passionate. Yeah. You know, who go every day not because that they're being that not because they're being paid the highest amount of salary. In fact, they could make much more if they are not in that institution, but they care. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to also recognize that a lot of this work is just being done by people. Who care? It's not about the money because it was about the money. You'd not be in this industry for sure. I can tell you. Like <laughs> this is not, um, you know, Wall Street yeah. cash. You know, whatever. It actually is an industry that is being sustained by passion, and I think that's so important to appreciate, but also to know that the risk of the risk of working. And I think now transitioning into personal challenges. I think the risk of working purely on passion is that you can burn out mm. because you're not hey. getting. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you know it too well. You're not getting what you're giving, and you're mm. constantly giving. You're constantly giving, and you're bound to feel empty at some point. Mm. I feel like within this, I, because I've been doing this for now. Ten years now. Wow, actually. I know. Wow, I mean, this is like my tenth year since I started my first history blog. Wow. Uh,
0: okay, we should mm. throw it like so a. Please, I'm zoom waiting party for or something. Not a zoom party, please. No, just wait. <laughs> keep keep the party plans. <laughs> Save it for another time. Please,
1: not a zoom party. Okay, but um, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll circle back to you in a couple of months. Like, uh, so about about my party. Um, but what is I saying? That. The, I know within the span of, of my career and my work in this space I have gone through burnout I think I've just navigated between severe burnout and less burnout
0: uh, like there's <laughs> the no <army>. no burnout <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> those are uh. the spectrums of where my mental space has been because a lot of the work that I've done has been volunteer, has been um, free in the sense uh, has been new you know, there's mm-hmm. also the aspect of novelty when you're in an industry and you feel alone. Yeah. You know, it's not that there are no people doing they're not there are no people who are doing what you're doing, but it's just that maybe you don't have access to them. And also, when I started, I was quite young. I was just a young girl mm. who just was very naive in the sense of I just wanted to do this because I loved it. And people don't see the world. The world does not work like that, you know. And mm. I was doing my relay project, and I'd go, I go, I'd travel like across the country. People would always question my motive. Like it would just, be, ah. it wouldn't just be a. Tea hi, I'm doing this because I love history, and I think it's important that these stations and these memories are preserved. You always be like, but why? Or, what's your last name? Or, is this a school project? What do you stand to gain? You know, like, the motive itself of archiving and preserving our history is not good enough. Like, it wasn't good enough, you know? And I think... Also recognizing that that is a legacy of, of a lot of things that we've been through. But at the same time, it takes a toll on people who work in the industry. There's also a gendered lens. Like, you can't, in as much as I would love to do field work on my own, there are spaces that I can't, I, yeah. just, I can't just travel across the country on my own in certain spaces because and even if I do, there's still an element of your safety. You know, you're carrying, like, so there's, there's a gendered lens to doing the work, grassroots work. Mm. and I think um, I remember in some parts when I was doing the regular project I just had to have a male colleague with me or a friend because people would just constantly harass you Mm. and you know just want to (laughs) bother you and just harassment in general Um, so yeah these are some of the challenges I've faced but to be honest, I think I speak for myself when I say they have been worth it in terms of the benefits and what the impact that this work has had far outweighs those challenges. And I think that's kept me going through thick and thin, um, but also seeing in the ways in which it has changed people and how, how people view history. I'm sure I feel like ah, if child can do this, I think anyone can do so <laughs> it. like you are playing together in primary school, you're in the same class in Seko, in the same class in uni, and they're like, oh yeah. You and me, I can do this. Like, there's nothing special about Chao. <laughs> mm. You know, that, you know, maybe I had access to more, or no, it was just like, this is, this is what we have and this is what we use. Mm. So I think in seeing the ways in which being that, in that space has changed how people see history and you know people starting their own platforms their own projects I think it's really really it's really important and it's really nice yeah.
0: I really like it it's you I'm not <laughs> I know you're talking like it's a, yeah cause it's you know sometimes also and I think for me like I said before it was very interesting to me cause I was like the first thing I thought first when I was going through like even the website yeah. I'm like hey how did these guys hack? Yeah, to do all yeah. this thing? Yeah, and then you see now you're talking and like yeah I just start now I'm like oh you guys okay. you can just yeah. start with just like start whatever you Actually, have Actually just you'll start get to that. like so I'm that person. I keep I
1: for me it's, it's really just start because mm. when I think about like the railway project and a lot of the projects that I've done they have just been just start. And I think the main resource for me and and why I'm a big proponent of just digital media is because it really narrowed the, or not narrowed, but reduced the barriers for me. Mm. Because if I didn't have, like I had, when I started, I first had a blog and that was my primary platform. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have, I had access to a global audience when i was in my dorm room in taita taveta just blogging you know and i had readers from all over the country i had readers who are in australia in south africa who are reading about different aspects of kenyan history and history that i would write on my blog you know mm-hmm. so i think in that removal of barriers for me as a young woman without resources who was not even trained in the industry, you know, it's not like I was trained to become yeah. a historian or a writer or anything. Technology really gave me a platform. It gave me a platform to share my perspective and it gave me an audience. And that's what I started with, like literally just a platform and an audience. And then it just spiraled into, into more. But I guess that thing of just start, mm-hmm. use whatever resources you have I keep saying that yes, technology is a resource, but honestly for me the biggest resource in this space is people. Ah. You know <laughs> I said you secure me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's people and speaking to people, learning from people, understanding people. Like I approach history with a lot of empathy. Like I always like for me history is very emotional. Like I just don't separate myself at te- you oh, ten million people were killed over ten years. Wow. No. For me it's like, wow, this is this is horrific. Usually <laughs> <That laughs> African history, yeah. like I approach it as if I am reading about a friend. Like sometimes I'm just like this is so sad. And it happened like two hundred years ago, but there's still a lot of emotion and empathy that I put into my work. And I think when you begin to see people as a resource it shapes how you approach a subject, mm. I guess. So this is, I don't know, those are my key my key findings. Wow. Findings as if this is a research project, my key lessons. <laughs>
0: For some of us it is. <laughs> <laughs> key findings from the discussion
1: travel. Um yeah, and being open about it being a personal journey as well. Mm. I think me it has been a personal journey like people who followed my work have seen me grow but have also seen me just stumble and (laughs) it's like there is no system Mm -hmm. there's been no system and i think now i want to be more open about the personal aspect because before i I really abstracted my identity as chow from all my projects so i would always like hide myself like ah, my okay. who i am from my project i was like it's not professional enough or you know people just think i'm a young girl and they think i'm a because people would call me mr chow so many people write to me like oh, no. hi mr chow just assuming I'm um, a man you know so <laughs> oh my god
0: okay
1: <laughs> you know but and then i think because i started when i was quite young i was eight, 19 or 20. so i used to think oh my god i need to keep myself who I am as far away as possible from Mm. from my work and now at my big age (laughs) (laughs) at my big age um it's like wow no actually actually I was 18 um now I think no it's time to stop hiding Mm. behind projects and behind my work because who I am is a direct impact has a direct impact on my work Mm. Like, my work would not be my work if I wasn't who I was. Uh, if I didn't have a car, yeah. Like So I'm, I'm 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 trying to move away from that place of abstracting my identity mm. and being more... I mean, there's risks to it and being just more open and vulnerable because I think that's what makes people relate to you. You know, you can see this one and be like, ah, kasi nyingi, maybe. I don't have this. I don't have the resources. I don't have the skills. I don't have the degree. But when you see someone in their vulnerability, that's... You know, this is what it was like to start this work. It was hard. It was painful. There were good moments. There are low moments. There are moments of crying and there are moments of ha- happiness. I think that makes people relate to you on a human level, mm. outside the abstractions and all these things we use to define as class and education. And no, just on a human level, what is it like to do this work yeah. as an African? And what are the emotional aspects and emotional labor? Because it is emotional labor. It's not yeah. just approach this oh this is a detention camp rock up take photos and go there's a huge emotional toll in even being in that space in thinking what people went through in that Mm. space and I think now I want to bring that to the to the forefront I don't know how but maybe even by speaking about it here is a yeah
0: (laughs) yeah, I think you I watched a video I, I can't remember where yeah of i mean it's probably on youtube but like i can't remember who published the video exactly but there was one where you were you were talking about archiving and i think you were even with your there was a part you were with your grandpa oh yes 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 so even small things like that it's like oh okay exactly you know (laughs) like she's (laughs) (laughs) i mean when i first followed you i didn't know who you were you know what i mean but like slowly, I think you're also doing that with your Instagram yes, slowly yeah, in different ways. I'm
1: trying ways. to make my Instagram into so more personal
0: reflection. Yeah, I reflection think you're, you're on a good path. Thank you. So we can check in <laughs> in like three yeah, months we and did be like, like a, okay, still doing good. Yeah, we
1: did a sequel to this. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I guess that's my story. That's my, my journey mm. in in summary. In
0: summary. <laughs> that, <laughs> in that's a, one, a summary. In yeah. a one-hour summary. Uh, that's That's it. I think the other, the last question maybe I have yeah. for you is how can now, like other people who are interested in this work that you're doing, how can they get involved if they want to get involved? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. How, how? Ah, uh, this
1: question always floors me. One, because. I think this goes back to the to the thing about just doing a lot of free labor, so i always i'm so conscious about asking people to do things when i'm just because I know what it was like to do it ah, okay. however um if you're interested in being a volunteer in in um, contributing your skills to these projects, always just reach out to me like my email and my instagram and my my accounts are pretty much open and people write to me and say like i want to do this so like for example um tomorrow i'm going for field work for um this uh, museum of british colonialism project and we're working with a photographer very well-known renowned Kenyan photographer who got in touch with us and said hi i'd like to volunteer my skills whenever you guys have a trip, let me know. And this was last year. So this time I called him up and I was like, would you like to come? So I think if you can write to me and just be like, this is what I can offer in terms of my skills and this is what I'd like to do. And whenever there's an opportunity or something crosses my path, I'll, I'll, I'll always just let you know.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll put yeah. your your details in the yes. description so the if anyone listens to this and they're like Me, me, yes, me I volunteer. Please, no, I to yeah, that. or
1: just follow me, DM me and just say this is what I want to do or if you need advice. Um I love giving you know, perspective, my perspective and on people some people write to me and they're like, Oh, I want to do my family history, where do I start? I'm always happy to
0: to help. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you've heard. <laughs> you have heard. Um, thank you so much for sharing. I feel like you've shared a lot. summary, guys. summary. You wait for my book. Wait, wait, wait for, for the book. Like you've been given a cheat code already. Yes. Um, so. yeah. Thanks for having for having me also in your house. um <laughs> thank you. It's a nice house. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and for and for and for sharing, especially. And, um, yeah, I hope the people listening, like, you've learned something and, you know, you've gained a different perspective to add something as well. I hope so, too. Yeah. You can tell us where they can find you on the... On social. On the interwebs. I'll send the, food for them. The... Okay.
1: On the um, you might... you Actually, you might. You will. <laughs> <laughs> you Sometimes I go by the name Headstrong Historian. So, you will find me on Twitter and Instagram as Headstrong Historian. And my website is headstronghistorian.com and um, yeah, the links will be in the description box. Yeah, Thank you for having me on, Wazi. Uh, it's been wonderful being here and uh, yeah, thank you. Oh, thanks so Coming! <laughs> Hugs!